Hello and welcome to Spiraling Upwards, where we are in pursuit of real holiness of life as a daily response to grace, in the companionship of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the love of God the Father. I am Father Robert Healy and I am delighted to welcome you to episode 11. Today we will be talking about jumpstarting your Lent. As you know, Lent is just around the corner, actually next week, a week from today. We'll be celebrating Ash Wednesday. And I want to talk today about Ash Wednesday and how to get going with Lent because next week's podcast is going to be coming out, well, in the evening on Ash Wednesday. So I thought to get ahead of it, you know, rather than talking about things at the end of the day on Ash Wednesday and saying, oh man, I wish I'd been thinking about those things during the day and already as we're as in the week leading up to Lent. So we have one week left here before we dive into Lent. And what I want to do is I want to give you some kind of basic ideas and thoughts about uh, helpful pointers and suggestions about how to get your Lent off to a really good start. I think if you live Lent well, you can discover uh, that it is a wonderful time of renewal. It is a wonderful time of getting your life back in focus. Even uh, even if you don't feel like your life is way out of focus, our spiritual decline can sometimes happen just gradually, gradually, degree by degree by degree, getting colder. It was a balmy, you know, 85 degrees, and kind of on the hot side, and then it was 84 degrees, and then it was 83 degrees, and then it was 82 degrees outside. And the next thing we know, it's 45 degrees. And we're saying, it's downright chilly out here. But, uh, but this doesn't happen all at once. If we're outside, it, kind of, it could kind of sneak up on us. Um, so to get your Lent off to a good start, to get our Lent off to a good start, I think the most important thing, of course, is to say, what is the purpose? What is the purpose of Lent? Um, if we are going to go into... Uh, a 40-day period of, of um, battle, you might say, and living, living our faith more ardently. And this is actually something next week on Ash Wednesday, we're just going to uh, spend a little more time meditating upon Lent itself and the beauty of it. But what I do want to do before we, uh, before we get there is to speak something, speak to the purpose of Lent and some practical ideas how to get toward it. And then next week on Ash Wednesday, we're actually going to spend a little more time meditating on and praying through what is the real heart and purpose of Lent as we are, as we are doing it. Now, the overarching principle that we have been talking about in this podcast from the start is loving God more and knowing God better. And seeing this as an upward spiral, so that every day is supposed to be some day where I maybe I don't need, I don't know God a lot more than I did yesterday, and love Him a lot more than I did yesterday. Maybe I don't know how, but at least I can strive to love Him a little more and to know Him a little better, and then discover that this has been that as this is going on, I've I've been growing in stature like a little kid who's getting bigger and taller, and suddenly you realize He's passed you up. Um. And so, in the time of repentance that we're given in Lent, uh, as Ash Wednesday comes upon us next week, we will receive ashes on your forehead. I encourage you, uh, make sure you go get ashes on your forehead. It's not something that uh, is required of anybody. The obligation, uh, it's not a massive obligation. 
whereas there are particular feast days that are holy days of obligation where we're required to go. Ash Wednesday is not a day that we're required to go, and yet the churches are always packed. I'm always amazed. Um, people will come to Mass on Ash Wednesday uh, to get their ashes, and they don't come, you know, maybe other days except for Christmas and Easter or really big, big days. Um, and you say, well, on the one hand, there's a little bit a little backwards here. The, the Holy Days of Obligation and Sundays are so much more important. Feasts are so much bigger than Ash Wednesday that if we're going to come to Mass on Ash Wednesday, we certainly should go to Mass every Sunday, every day of Holy Day of Obligation. But there is something about Ash Wednesday that really calls us to awareness of our penitence and receiving your ashes. I think that a lot of people who who realize they can't get their Lent started properly if they don't go do that. Well, that's good, and I want to inf- affirm that. So it's not, of course, to cast dispersions on that. It's to say, yes, now, in that spirit of repentance, go to Mass every Sunday. Go to Mass every Holy Day of Obligation. Make a commitment never to miss the Holy Mass on a day in which uh, we are obliged to go, uh, and take the opportunity of going to Mass on Ash Wednesday out of the pure desire to go, and say, this is what it should be like every time I'm required to go to Mass. I I desire to go. Now, the repentance that is signified, you know, when you put ashes on your forehead, what is being signified? Well, the priest or, or deacon or the minister who is who is giving you ashes on your forehead says these words, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Remember that you are dust, and unto dust you shall return. And these words are reminding us they're reminding me and they're reminding you that we were made out of the dust of the earth. God took a handful of dust and he formed it into the man. And he blew in the nostrils of the man his life. He breathed into him. He spirited into him, literally. Just like we say uh, that a man expires and that's the out of his the outgoing of his spirit it's uh, the outgoing of his breath in latin spiritus means breath it means wind it means spirit in the sense of a living spirit um and so the soul or the spirit of a man is in fact uh something which is coming through his uh his nostrils you might say as the lord breathes into him this life well part of the punishment of sin is that we die that we breathe out our spirit and we are di- we are no longer alive. And so the body disintegrates back into the dust to, from which it comes. And so this very evocative sacramental of putting ashes on the forehead and the sign of the cross, which is actually something that's kind of unique to the United States. Most of, most of the world, they put the ash, kind of sprinkled ashes on top of the head, but it's something that's developed as a natural and a wholesome development in our country. Um, that people put a beautiful big black cross of ashes on their forehead. Why? Because it is a reminder to me that I am dust. The only reason I'm alive, the only reason I'm here, is because God has made me, and he has made that dust to come to life. So we, we find even in, in Shakespeare, you know, uh, in the the play Hamlet, Hamlet's speaking about the glory of men and how 
what is this this you know, the paragon of animals in in movement how express in his in his wisdom how like a god and then he says but what is what to me is this quintessence of dust this thing of dust well Hamlet's actually just encountering the reality of the fact that as glorious as we are as smart as we can be as wonderful as we are we're nothing but dust um, dust that has been brought to life that's been given life so the very fact that I exist I realize comes from God and by my own sins I am destined to die I'm doomed to die not destined to die that's, that's not my destiny my destiny is to go to heaven but I'm doomed to die as a punishment for my sins but with the hope with the hope that I will rise one day you know the very first funeral I ever did as a as a priest, was uh, in the extraordinary form of the Roman rite, the older, the older rites. And in the funeral rites that it expresses during the burial uh, of the body, uh, the last thing that's done, this was so interesting, and it's something that I've always done uh, when I have the occasion to be able to do so, in, even in a devotional way. The last thing that's done in that rite is that the priest takes a shovel full of dirt, and then he throws it into the uh into the grave and it land and the, that clot of dirt lands on the on the vault or on the the coffin with a boom <laughs> and he says the words remember that you are dust and he takes another shovel full of dirt boom and to dust you shall return and he takes another shovel full of dust and he tosses that third clot in and he says but the Lord in his mercy will raise you on the last day. Boom. <laughs> and it's so visceral. And it's such a reality of that the death is real, but life will conquer it. And so even as I'm putting ashes on my forehead, on the forehead of, of someone, I'm not going to put ashes on my own forehead. I'm going to let another priest turn and give me ashes. Um, but... Even as I'm putting ashes on the forehead, uh, I am signifying by the cross that the cross will conquer. Christ will win by his glorious cross, by his glorious death, his death, he will bring me back to life. And so the purpose of Lent is two things which are in the same direction— turning away from sin and turning toward God. If I'm turning away from sin, sin which is diametrically opposed to God, sin which is rebellion against God, if I'm turning away from sin, I'm turning toward God. Just like if I'm facing toward my shadow, then I'm facing away from the light because the light is what's causing the shadow. But as soon as I turn away from the shadow, I'm turning toward the light. Uh, and so, and so I, I turn away from sin, and in so doing, I'm also turning toward God. As I'm turning toward God, I'm turning away from sin. Repentance involves both. It must, because I can't turn toward God without turning away from sin, because they're in opposite directions. Uh, the sin is in rebellion against God and his goodness and his love and his light. And so this act of repentance, as I am recalling that I am to die justly, for I am a sinner. That cross is signifying that I am going to live again. 
through the salvific death and uh, the sufferings and death of our Lord in which he underwent that punishment of death. Even though he didn't have to, he had never sinned. He himself was incapable of sin for he was God himself. And yet he has come and entered into my human condition, even humbled himself to death, even death on the cross in order to give me hope. And so in, in the very symbolism of the cross with ashes on the forehead, I'm representing that this time that I am starting, this Lent that we are launching next week, is launching as not just a sign of despair, oh, I'm going to die, I'm going to turn to dust, but as a sign of, of immense hope that as I turn away from the darkness, I turn toward the light. Now, considering Lent as a whole, as a time of renewal, of refocusing, uh, and drawing our attention back to the light, right? Turning away from the darkness and turning toward God and his joy and his goodness. Then we should see the fasting and abstinence laws of the church, especially as we encounter them in Lent, not as things that are supposed to make us miserable or make us simply feel uh, deprived of happiness, but as things which are intended to separate us from the love of perishable things and fill our hearts with a love for eternal things, for the things of heaven, for the things of the Lord. And so the idea of fasting, you, maybe you've heard, of the, heard a, fast, a day of fast and abstinence to say, you're not allowed to eat meat, and you can have one big meal and two small meals, which don't equal a whole big meal. Now, this sort of talking about big meals and small meals can sometimes be kind of confusing. So I'd like to suggest something by way of how to think about this. Um, this isn't, uh, I'm not speaking kind of authoritatively. I'm speaking from kind of my experience and the things that I have uh, have read and, and have learned about in the old fast. So back in 1917, the canon, Code of Canon Law that came before the current canon, Code of Canon Law, which now is no longer obligatory, because we have the current Code of Canon Law. But what it can do is it can actually help us to think with the Church, because we see there are certain things the Church desired of people that were very carefully enshrined in the Code of 1917, and, and in some sense they were taken out of the Code of Canon Law in 1983, not because the Church had decided, well, we were wrong, but because the Church said, well, we don't want to oblige people under pain of sin to do these things, especially if they're being very rebellious against it. But um, the old fast required every person to fast every single day during Lent, if they were between the ages of, of uh, 18 and, and 59. So if they were within those ages, they were required to fast, and everybody else who was outside earlier, you know, younger than that or older than that, was invited to. Now we're all invited. You can say we're all invited to uh, think about fasting in this way. But a fast was just the general idea is just to have only one meal in the day. Not, not to get into this discussion of big meals and small meals uh, as whether, like, oh, this I had a, one of my small meals because I didn't have two helpings. I only had one helping. Or where's the line? It can kind of get fuzzy when you talk like that. But if you say a fast is a day when you only have one meal, and you're allowed to have two small kind of breakfasts, you know, to keep your strength up and do whatever you need to do. Uh, that you know, it, it were referred to as sometimes referred to as collations. Um, 
the Italian word for breakfast is actually colazione. It's just this exact same word. So it's two breakfasts that then help you get through the day, but you only have one meal. And if it's just a fasting day, that one meal you can eat whatever you want. You can have whatever you like during that one meal. You can eat meat, you can drink wine, you can do whatever you like during that meal within the parameters of temperance. You don't want to be gluttonous at that meal. That would be kind of counterproductive. But then the idea is that in those two collations or the two breakfasts, you're simply keeping up your strength and doing eating what you need to eat in order to keep going, but not having a meal. And so they, those two collations don't equal a whole meal to put together. Well, this whole notion of fasting is combined then with a, a second notion, which is of abstinence from meat. Uh, there was one, one Lent that I gave up meat all Lent long, and it was very hard because I never felt full. There's something about eating meat that makes you feel satisfied and full in a way that not eating meat, uh, no matter how much salad you eat, you're not going to feel full in that same way. Um, and so the idea of a day of fasting and abstinence is that not only do I only have one meal during the day, and up to you know one or two collations to get me by, maybe I have a breakfast in the morning and kind of a breakfast in the middle of the day and I have a main meal, my main meal of the day in the evening, or I have a main meal in the day in the midday, and then I have something small in the evening to tide me over. Um, the idea of fasting and abstinence is that also at that main, at that meal of the day, I don't have meat at that meal either. So either at the meal or in the collations, I don't have meat. So I, I just want to just kind of share this with you because I think it can be helpful to keep our minds on what what is actually the fast to look like. How do we how do we do it? And and I think then we need to simply say why. Again, it's to love God more. It's to know God better. It's not just simply make us miserable, and it's not simply a, just a, an arbitrary law where we're going to just do this. We're doing this to start and to finish Lent uh, by saying, by way of saying, this I need to do. And every single Friday uh, during Lent, we abstain from meat. We we abstain from meat every Friday of the year, but uh, under the current laws in our country, in the United States, is permitted for uh, Catholics to substitute some other work of charity or some other work of penance for the the Friday abstinence of meat on Fridays outside of Lent, outside of Lent. During Lent, that permission is not granted. So during Lent, we are obliged to abstain from meat. And that is because we are rep- we are remembering the fact that our Lord died, that our Lord was taken from us on a Friday. And so in sorrow, in love for him, and in sorrow at being deprived of him, we deny ourselves the pleasure and the kind of the fullness and the topping off, you know, of, of meat so that we can show him our, uh, so that we remind ourselves that we need him to make us happy. We need him to make us truly filled. <laughs> 